This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Kim. Yosemite by John Muir. Chapter 12 How Best to Spend One's Yosemite Time. The Upper Tuolumne Excursion. We come now to the grandest of all the Yosemite excursions, one that requires at least two or three weeks. The best time to make it is from about the middle of July. The visitor, entering the Yosemite in July, has the advantage of seeing the falls, not perhaps in their very flood prime, but next thing to it. While the glacier meadows will be in their glory, and the snow on the mountains will be firm enough to make climbing safe. Long ago I made these Sierra trips, carrying only a sackful of bread with a little tea and sugar, and was thus independent and free. But now that trails or carriage roads lead out of the valley in almost every direction, it is easy to take a pack animal, so that the luxury of a blanket and a supply of food can easily be had. The best way to leave the valley will be by the Yosemite Fall Trail, camping the first night on the Tioga Road opposite the east end of the Hoffman Range. Next morning climb Mount Hoffman, thence push on past Tenaya Lake into the Tuolumne Meadows and establish a central camp near the Soda Springs, from which glorious excursions can be made at your leisure. For here in this upper Tuolumne Valley is the whitest, smoothest, most serenely spacious, and in every way the most delightful summer pleasure park in all the High Sierra. And since it is connected with Yosemite by two good trails, and a fairly good carriage road that passes between Yosemite and Mount Hoffman, it is also the most accessible. It is in the heart of the High Sierra, east of Yosemite, 8,500 to 9,000 feet above the level of the sea. The gray, picturesque cathedral range bounds it on the south. A similar range, or spur, the highest peak of which is Mount Conness on the north. The noble mounts Dana, Gibbs, Mammoth, Lyell, McClure, and others on the axis of the range on the east, a heaving, billowing crowd of glacier-polished rocks, and Mount Hoffman on the west. Down through the open, sunny meadow levels of the valley flows the Tuolumne River, fresh and cool from its many glacial fountains, the highest of which are the glaciers that lie on the north sides of Mount Lyell and Mount McClure. Along the river a series of beautiful glacier meadows extends, with but little interruption, from the lower end of the valley to its head, a distance of about twelve miles, forming charming, sauntering grounds from which the glorious mountains may be enjoyed, as they look down in divine serenity over the dark forests that clothe their bases. Narrow strips of pine woods cross the meadow carpet from side to side, and it is somewhat roughened here and there by moraine boulders and dead trees, brought down from the heights by snow avalanches. But for miles and miles it is so smooth and level that a hundred horsemen may ride abreast over it. The main lower portion of the meadows is about four miles long, and from a quarter to half a mile wide, but the width of the valley is, on an average, about eight miles. 
Tracing the river, we find that it forks a mile above the Soda Springs, the main fork turning southward to Mount Lyell, the other eastward to Mount Dana and Mount Gibbs. Along both, fork strips of meadow extend almost to their heads. The most beautiful portions of the meadows are spread over lake basins, which have been filled up by deposits from the river. A few of these river lakes still exist, but they are now shallow, and are rapidly approaching extinction. The sod in most places is exceedingly fine and silky and free from weeds and bushes, while charming flowers abound, especially gentians, dwarf daisies, potentias, and the pink bells of the dwarf vecinium. On the banks of the river and its tributaries, Cassiope and Bryanthus may be found, where the sod curls over stream banks and around boulders. The principal grass of these meadows is a delicate calamagrostis with very slender filiform leaves, and when it is in flower the ground seems to be covered with a faint purple mist, the stems of the panicles being so fine that they are almost invisible, and offer no appreciable resistance in walking through them. Along the edges of the meadows, beneath the pines, and throughout the greater part of the valley, tall ribbon-leaved grasses grow in abundance, chiefly bromus, triticum, and agrostis. In October, the nights are frosty, and then the meadows at sunrise, when every leaf is laden with crystals, are a fine sight. The days are still warm and calm, and bees and butterflies continue to waver and hum about the late-blooming flowers until the coming of the snow, usually in November. Storm then follows storm in quick succession, burying the meadows to a depth of from ten to twenty feet, while magnificent avalanches descend through the forest from the laden heights, depositing huge piles of snow mixed with uprooted trees and boulders. In the open sunshine the snow usually lasts until the end of June, but the new season's vegetation is not generally in bloom until late in July. Perhaps the best all-round excursion time after winters of average snowfall is from the middle of July to the middle or end of August. The snow is then melted from the woods, and southern slopes of the mountains and the meadows and gardens are in their glory, while the weather is mostly all reviving, exhilarating sunshine. The few clouds that rise now and then, and the showers they yield, are only enough to keep everything fresh and fragrant. The groves about the Soda Springs are favorite camping grounds on account of the cold, pleasant-tasting water charged with carbonic acid, and because of the views of the mountains across the meadow, the Glacier Monument, Cathedral Peak, Cathedral Spires, Unicorn Peak, and a series of ornamental nameless companions rising in striking forms and nearness above a dense forest growing on the left lateral moraine of the ancient Tuolumne Glacier, which, broad, deep, and far-reaching, exerted vast influence on the scenery of this portion of the Sierra. But there are fine camping grounds all along the meadows, and one may move from grove to grove every day all summer, enjoying new homes and new beauty to satisfy every roving desire for change. There are five main capital excursions to be made from here, 
to the summits of Mount Dana, Lyle, and Conus, and through the Bloody Canyon Pass to Mono Lake and the volcanoes, and down the Tuolumne Canyon, at least as far as the foot of the wonderful series of river cataracts. All of these excursions are sure to be made memorable with joyful health-giving experiences, but perhaps none of them will be remembered with keener delight than the days spent in sauntering on the broad velvet lawns by the river, sharing the sky with the mountains and trees, gaining something of their strength and peace. The excursion to the top of Mount Dana is a very easy one. For though the mountain is thirteen thousand feet high, the ascent from the west side is so gentle and smooth that one may ride a mule to the very summit. Across many a busy stream, from meadow to meadow, lies your flowery way. Mountains all about you, few of them hidden by irregular foregrounds. Gradually ascending, other mountains come into sight, peak rising above peak, with their snow and ice in endless variety of grouping and sculpture. Now your attention is turned to the moraines, sweeping in beautiful curves from the hollows and canyons, now to the granite waves and pavements rising here and there above the healthy sod, polished a thousand years ago and still shining. Toward the base of the mountain you note the dwarfing of the trees, until at a height of about eleven thousand feet you find patches of the tough, white-barked pine, pressed so flat by the ten or twenty feet of snow piled upon them every winter for centuries, that you may walk over them as if walking on a shaggy rug. And if curious about such things, you may discover specimens of this hardy tree mountaineer, not more than four feet high, and about as many inches in diameter at the ground, that are from two hundred to four hundred years old, still holding bravely to life, making the most of their slender summers, shaking their tasseled needles in the breeze right cheerily, drinking the thin sunshine and maturing their fine purple cones, as if they meant to live forever." The general view from the summit is one of the most extensive and sublime to be found in all the range. To the eastward you gaze far out over the desert plains and mountains of the Great Basin, range beyond range extending with soft outlines, blue and purple in the distance. More than six thousand feet below you lies Lake Mono, ten miles in diameter from north to south, and fourteen from west to east, lying bare in the treeless desert, like a disk of burnished metal. Though at times it is swept by mountain storm winds and streaked with foam. To the southward there is a well-defined range of pale gray extinct volcanoes, and though the highest of them rises nearly two thousand feet above the lake, you can look down from here into their circular cup-like craters, from which a comparatively short time ago ashes and cinders were showered over the surrounding sage plains and glacier-laden mountains. To the westward the landscape is made up of exceedingly strong, gray, glaciated domes and ridge waves, most of them comparatively low, but the largest high enough to be called mountains, separated by canyons and darkened with lines and fields of forest, Cathedral Peak and Mount Hoffman in the distance, small lakes and innumerable meadows in the foreground. 
Northward and southward, the great snowy mountains marshaled along the axis of the range are seen in all their glory, crowded together in some places like trees in groves, making landscapes of wild, extravagant, bewildering magnificence, yet calm and silent as the sky. Some eight glaciers are in sight. One of these is the Dana Glacier on the north side of the mountain. Lying at the foot of a precipice about a thousand feet high, with a lovely pale green lake a little below it. This is one of the many small shrunken remnants of the vast glacial system of the Sierra that once filled the hollows and valleys of the mountains and covered all the lower ridges below the immediate summit fountains, flowing to right and left away from the axis of the range, lavishly fed by the snows of the glacial period. In the excursion to Mount Lyell, the immediate base of the mountain is easily reached on meadow walks along the river. Turning to the southward above the forks of the river, you enter the narrow Lyle branch of the valley, narrow enough and deep enough to be called a canyon. It is about eight miles long and from two thousand to three thousand feet deep. The flat meadow bottom is from about three hundred to two hundred yards wide. With gently curved margins about fifty yards wide, from which rise the simple, massive walls of gray granite at an angle of about thirty three degrees, mostly timbered with a light growth of pine and streaked in many places with avalanche channels. Toward the upper end of the canyon, the Sierra Crown comes in sight, forming a finely balanced picture framed by the massive canyon walls. In the foreground, when the grass is in flower, you have the purple meadow willow thickets on the river banks. In the middle distance, huge swelling bosses of granite that form the base of the general mass of the mountain, with fringing lines of dark woods marking the lower curves, smoothly snow clad, except in the autumn. If you wish to spend two days on the Lyle River on the Lyle trip, you will find a good campground on the east side of the river, about a mile above a fine cascade that comes down over the canyon wall in telling style and makes good camp music. From here to the top of the mountains is usually an easy day's work. At one place near the summit, careful climbing is necessary, but it is not so dangerous or difficult as to deter any one of ordinary skill, while the views are glorious. To the northward are Mammoth Mountain, Mount Gibbs, Dana, Warren, Conus, and others, unnumbered and unnamed. To the southeast, the indescribably wild and jagged range of Mount Ritter and the Minarets. Southwestward stretches the dividing range between the North Fork of the San Joaquin and the Merced, uniting with the Obelisk. Or Merced group of peaks that form the main fountains of the Alilouette branch of the Merced, and to the northwestward extends the Cathedral Spur. These spurs, like distant ranges, meet at your feet. Therefore, you look at them mostly in the direction of their extension, and their peaks seem to be massed and crowded against one another. While immense amphitheaters, canyons, and subordinate ridges with their wealth of lakes, glaciers, and snowfields maze and cluster between them. In making the ascent in June or October, the glacier is easily crossed, for then its snow mantle is smooth, 
or mostly melted off. But in midsummer the climbing is exceedingly tedious because the snow is then weathered into curious and beautiful blades, sharp and slender, and set on edge in a leaning position. They lean towards the head of the glacier and extend across from side to side in regular order in a direction at right angles to the direction of the greatest declivity, the distance between the crests being about two or three feet and the depth of the troughs between them about three feet. A more interesting problem than a walk over a glacier, thus sculptured and adorned, is seldom presented to the mountaineer. The Lyle Glacier is about a mile wide and less than a mile long, but presents nevertheless all the essential characters of a large river-like glaciers, moraines, earth bands, blue veins, crevasses, etc., while the streams that issue from it are, of course, turbid, with rock mud showing its grinding action on its bed. And it is all the more interesting since it is the highest and most enduring remnant of the great Tuolumne Glacier, whose traces are still distinct fifty miles away, and whose influence on the landscape was so profound. The McClure Glacier, once a tributary of the Lyle, is smaller. Thirty-eight years ago I set a series of stakes in it to determine its rate of motion. Towards the end of summer, in the middle of the glacier, it was only a little over an inch in twenty-four hours. The trip to Mono from the Soda Springs can be made in a day, but many days may profitably be spent near the shores of the lake, on its islands, and about the volcanoes. In making the trip down the big Tuolumne Canyon, animals may be led as far as a small grassy forested lake basin that lies below the crossing of the Virginia Creek Trail, and from this point anyone accustomed to walking on earthquake boulders carpeted with canyon chaparral can easily go down as far as the big cascades and return to camp in one day. Many, however, are not able to do this, and it is better to go leisurely, prepared to camp anywhere, and enjoy the marvelous grandeur of the place. The canyon begins near the lower end of the meadows and extends to the Hetch Hetchy Valley, a distance of about eighteen miles, though it will seem much longer to anyone who scrambles through it. It is from twelve hundred to about five thousand feet deep and is comparatively narrow, but there are several roomy park-like openings in it, and throughout its whole extent Yosemite natures are displayed on a grand scale. Domes, El Capitan rocks, gables, sentinels, royal arches, glacier points, cathedral spires, etc. There is even a half-dome among its wealth of rock forms, though far less sublime than the Yosemite half-dome. Its falls and cascades are innumerable. The sheer falls, except when the snow is melting in early spring, are quite small in volume as compared with those of Yosemite and Hetch Hetchy though in any other country many of them would be regarded as wonders. But it is the cascades or sloping falls on the main river that are the crowning glory of the canyon, and these in volume, extent, and variety surpass those of any other canyon in the Sierra. The most showy and interesting of them are mostly in the upper part of the canyon, above the point of entrance of Cathedral Creek and Hoffman Creek. 
For miles, the river is one wild, exulting, onrushing mass of snowy purple bloom, spreading over glacial waves of granite without any definite channel, gliding in magnificent silver plumes, dashing and foaming through huge boulder dams, leaping high into the air in wheel-like whirls, displaying glorious enthusiasm, tossing from side to side, doubling, glinting, singing, in exuberance of mountain energy. Everyone who is anything of a mountaineer should go on through the entire length of the canyon, coming out by Hetch Hetchy. There is not a dull step all the way. With wide variations, it is a Yosemite valley from end to end. Beside these main, far-reaching, much-seeing excursions from the main central camp, there are numberless, lovely little saunters and scrambles, and a dozen or so, not so very little. Among the best of these are to Lambert and Fairview domes, to the topmost spires of Cathedral Peak, and to those of the North Church, around the base of which you pass on your way to Mount Conness, to one of the very loveliest of the glacier meadows embedded in the pine woods about three miles north of the Soda Springs, where forty-two years ago I spent six weeks. It trends east and west, and you can find it easily by going past the base of Lambert's Dome to Dog Lake, and thence up northward through the woods about a mile or so, to the shining rock waves full of ice-burnished feldspar crystals at the foot of the meadows to Lake Tenaya. And last but not least, a rather long and very hearty scramble down by the end of the meadow along the Tioga Road toward Lake Tenaya, to the crossing of Cathedral Creek, where you turn off and trace the creek down to its confluence with the Tuolumne. This is a genuine scramble much of the way, but one of the most wonderfully telling in its glacial rock forms and inscriptions. If you stop and fish at every tempting lake and stream you come to, a whole month or even two months will not be too long for this grand High Sierra excursion. My own Sierra trip was ten years long. Other Trips from the Valley Short carriage trips are usually made in the early morning to Mirror Lake to see its wonderful reflections of the Half Dome and Mount Watkins, and in the afternoon many ride down the valley to see the Bridal Veil Rainbows or up the River Canyon to see those of the Vernal Fall, where, standing in the spray, not minding getting drenched, you may see what are called Round Rainbows, where the two ends of the ordinary bow are lengthened and meet at your feet, forming a complete circle which is broken and united again and again as determined by the wafting, varying wafts of spray. A few ambitious scramblers climb to the top of the Sentinel Rock, others walk or ride down the valley, and up to the once famous inspiration point for a last grand view, while a good many appreciative tourists who slave only a day or two do no climbing or riding but spend their time sauntering on the meadows by the river, watching the falls and the relay of light and shade among the rocks from morning to night, perhaps gaining more than those who make haste up the trails in large noisy parties. Those who have unlimited time find something worth while all the year round on every accessible part of the vast, deeply sculptured walls, at least so I have found it after making the valley my home for many years. Here are a few specimens selected from my own short trips which walkers may find useful. 
one up the river canyon across the bridge between the vernal and the nevada falls through chaparral beds and boulders to the shoulder of half dome along the top of the shoulder to the dome itself down by a crumbling slot gully and close along the base of the tremendous split front the most awfully impressive sheer precipice view i ever found in all my canyon wanderings thence up the east shoulder and along the ridge to cloud's rest a glorious sunset then a grand starry run back home to my cabin down through the junipers down through the firs now in black shadows now in white light past roaring nevada and vernal flowering ghost-like beneath their huge frowning cliffs down the dark gloomy canyon through the pines of the valley dreamily murmuring in their calm breezy sleep a fine wild little excursion for good legs and good eyes so much sun moon and starshine in it and sublime up and down rhythmical glacial topography another to the head of yosemite fall by indian canyon thence up the yosemite creek tracing it all the way to its highest sources back of mount hoffman then a wide sweep around the head of its dome-paved basin passing its many little lakes and bogs gardens and groves trilling warbling rills and back by the fall canyon this was one of my sabbath walks run and slide excursions long ago before any trail had been made on the north side of the valley another fine trip was up bright and early by avalanche canyon to glacier point along the rugged south wall tracing all its far outs and ins to the head of the bridal veil fall thence back home bright and late by a brushy bouldering slope between cathedral rocks and cathedral spires and along the level valley floor this was one of my long bright day bright night walks thirty or forty years ago when like river and ocean currents time flowed undivided uncounted a fine free sauntery scrambly botanical beauty-filled ramble the walk up the valley was made glorious by the marvelous brightness of the morning star so great was her light she made every tree cast a well-defined shadow on the smooth sandy ground everybody who visits yosemite wants to see the famous big trees before the railroad was constructed all three of the stage roads that entered the valley passed through a grove of these trees by the way namely the tuolumne merced and mariposa groves the tuolumne grove was passed on the big oak flat road the merced grove by the coulterville road and the mariposa grove by the raymond and wawona road now to see any one of these groves a special trip has to be made most visitors go to the mariposa grove the largest of the three on this sequoia trip you see not only the three giant big trees but magnificent forests of silver fir sugar pine yellow pine libocedrus and douglas spruce the trip need not require more than two days spending a night in a good hotel at wawona a beautiful place on the south fork of the merced river and returning to the valley or to el portal the terminus of the railroad this extra trip by stage costs fifteen dollars all the high sierra excursions that i have sketched cost from a dollar a week to anything you like 
None of mine when I was exploring the Sierra cost over a dollar a week. Most of them less. End of chapter 12